Hello everybody, this is Tom Harrison and Ken Krogh. Today we've got my dear friend Mark Chamberlain and come to find out, Tom knows him as well. <laughs> so Mark and I grew up together. Uh, he's now uh, a therapist and he's busy all the time. But I have to tell you what it was like back when we were kids in high school. This is, this is Mark Chamberlain, the lead singer of the amazing group called Bladder Infection. This was the band that was started, that became legendary in Woods Cross High School. Tell us about, this was crazy, but we had a lot of fun back in those days. We did, yeah. Yeah, this is what happens when your rock and roll career doesn't work out, is you become a therapist, so. And it also, it also happens when you're in that teenage limbic brain. You yes, know? that's right, yes. Yeah. Now you had some of this action going on too, Tom. Oh yes. Let's no. talk about some of your music career oh, back let's, then. Let's not. That'll be another podcast. Yeah. That'd take the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> he had a longer career. So tell us a little bit about after high school, how did you get into this career path, Mark? You know, really it was serving a mission for the LDS Church and working with people who are trying to quit smoking so that they could turn their life around and have a better life, save money. I remember one guy just wanting to live a better life for his family and seeing how hard that was to change behavior, change uh, you know, your life even in a small way. And so I got fascinated with that, really rallied with people, would go visit people and motivate them the best I could. And you know, there were a lot of things that were spiritual that could help them. But then uh, I got so fascinated with it and so Really, my heart was so uh, into that spirit of helping people make changes that when I got home, it was a no-brainer for me. Just And the fascination with the brain, actually. What is it that makes people tick? What is it that keeps us stuck in patterns? And how do we make changes? Gotcha. Yeah, missions can be a high motivator. My father died when I was on my mission of alcoholism. Is that right? And so had those same that sounds really... amazing experiences of what and I was in England and saw a lot of people who were drinking too much and yeah. you know and I thought I'm going to figure out what's creating that. Yeah. Yeah. Your heart I yeah. mean when your heart is tugged that right. way with people you love and I think that's what we see in our work right. is uh you know you have people who are so motivated their loved ones who care so much. Right. You can't help but have your heart kind of be in this work, can you? Right. I became really ill on my mission with rheumatic fever and had to come home and then reassigned and things of that nature. And to see what an illness does to a brain mm. and to experience that and realize how helpless I felt. That, yeah. You know, I wanted to get back out, I wanted to do, and I was just, you know, yeah, in yeah. bed for a long period of time and then bam, I was able to be reassigned and function again. But it's amazing how those profound times in our life create, for you and I, a career of, yeah, yeah. of working <laughs> with people, you know? It's amazing. Yeah, it really is. Well, and talking of per career, you, you've been busy. You've been an author, uh, edited a couple books. Uh, how did you get into writing books? Uh, you know, it was really working with my mentor, Dean Bird, on, uh, the, uh, with a group of people. Uh, when I was first in the career, we were doing a lot of interviews with people who were struggling with addiction again. And as he and I worked on that, he and I collaborated uh, to write Willpower's Not Enough, our first book. And 
it's actually the one that has sold the most even after all these years. Wow. And, and just, uh, again, what, what breaks down for people when they fail at change and then what can we do to try to make a difference for them? Tell us about these others. Uh, Love You Hate the Porn is the most recent book, and that is, uh, it, it talks about uh, relationships and, this, and how uh, connection really is the opposite of addiction, and it's a great antidote to addiction. Uh, did I say that right? Yeah, not anecdote, but antidote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, you know, really looking at, uh, in a relation, for example, when pornography has damaged a relationship, the very kind of pathway and, and avenue you could take for healing has been damaged in some ways. And so even more so than I find with addictions like alcoholism, which can do damage in the relationship, but it doesn't have the same personal uh, kind of impact as when a partner's using porn. It feels so like a personal uh, insult to the partner. And so how do you repair those kind of damages in order for the relationship to be a part of the healing instead of something that's just damaged by the addiction. So this is, this is about the relationship side then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, Wanting More is a book about our culture and how you know, we're so overstimulated in our culture and so caught up in always the quest for more. And we see that even more than when uh, I wrote that book. Gosh, how long has it been now? Maybe 10 years ago. Our culture's just gotten more and more ramped up with Right. Being overstimulated, more forms of media that, and more ready access to them that just uh, take our nervous systems mm -hmm. and kind of just keep turning the volume up, and it's to our detriment. You know, we're not our bodies and brains aren't meant to be ratcheted up with stimulation all the time, mm -hmm. and I think we're paying the price for it in so many ways. Mark, so frequently in my practice, I would get a call from a family. You know, this person has an addiction. And we want you to fix him. Mm, and mm -hmm. then they were troubled or, or shocked almost to know that this was a system problem. Uh, yeah. that, that I'm not only going to be treating this identified patient, but I'm also would like to see you or, yeah. or I'd like to have you in therapy with someone else. And then we can get together and because we have to break this entire system. Yeah. And, you know, I, I still think today people just look at it from kind of a Western medicine concept of I'm having this problem, so what we're going to do is just treat the system, excuse me, just treat the symptoms. And if we can treat these symptoms well enough, then we'll all be fine instead of there is a whole system that is broken or not functioning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's really... I shouldn't use the word fun, but it's really fun for people. The lights to go on for people, because it's challenging too. I, you know, it's it's really hard to see how because the emotion that's so caught up in it, it's hard to have your own life under a microscope. But once you get kind of having insights and more self-aware, there's nothing more fun for people in saying, "Wait, you know, here's the cycle we get into as a couple or with a, a son or daughter." But I have my own cycle that gets stirred up by that, and I can learn to manage that and be aware of my own, mm -hmm. you know, the things that I get caught up in that are pretty understandable and natural 
but they're not working. They're, they're feeding that negative cycle. Right. And when you're in that negative cycle, you want more, but you, you know you want something different, but it's hard to identify it. And, and my experience with Dr. Chamberlain is that he can identify that and help people start to see what, their, what health has to offer and what moving out of addiction has to offer them. And then they start looking at life and their relationship totally different than they did when they came in. And they start receiving more because they're changing those things that are keeping them in those dysfunctional cycles. So Well said, yeah. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing for people, that recovery when they taste it and they enjoy that more rich spectrum of experiences instead of that, you know, uh, the addiction which brings a dopamine high of sorts and right. lots of other kind of ba brain bathing itself in chemicals that have a hook to them, no doubt, but when they can get in that recovery and have that beauty of the more of life and more connections with loved ones, the passions that maybe they've forgotten about or have never fully developed. Ah, oh, it's just such a better life. Yeah. yeah. I've had people say to me, so Tom, do you, are you saying that if we just added God to our life in eternal core, if I just added God to my life, I would be better? And I said, no, I'm sure God is a part of your life now. But our brains and our hearts can experience things at a, at a more significant level when we're not feeding those negative chemicals all the time. And then the brain and the heart and the body can then start thinking and processing on brand new things because it's not caught up in those old cycles yeah, which yeah. never allowed you to see, never allowed you to see a new day or, or, or a clear day. And, and after, they would say, how did you do that? And I said, well, it wasn't me. You did this. You've been the one that's been doing this work. But, you know, now and then I would say to them, well, we just, we flew a plane into your family and into your life. And we just kind of really messed the old structures up. And now you are functioning in a new structural past process and things are getting better. You're feeling better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's cool how the, you know, when people see their, their themselves bleed and the scab heal, we see it so it's so apparent and we see it happen and it's so, you know, really miraculous. We're not creating that. The doctor who, <laughs> or the band aid company did not fix that. Right. But that uh, principles by which God can heal our body. There are similar principles that operate for us with relationships and with our nervous systems and with our lifestyles. And so, you know, it's, it's funny how those are beyond the scope of psychology as a science or medicine. They were happening way back when. And when you read ancient scripture and when you, uh, you know, see ancient wisdom, they're operating by the same uh, principles, you know, human beings haven't changed that much right. in all those years. And we still need those principles. And when we operate according to truth, we thrive and our relationships thrive and our brains thrive. You know, both of you um, are similar. In fact, when, when Tom moved out of his practice to join us here 
in what we're doing now and helping with Operation Underground Railroad, many of your patients ended up uh, moving over to Mark. And but you guys have you have a spiritual component. I mean, it's not something that you that you mention openly, I guess per se. But both of you have a fairly uh, faith-based model uh, that, that, that as you've built your practice on. Maybe talk about how how ha how did you come to the realization that you could weave that into the model that you use with your clients? Yeah, I, I know, I don't know if this is how I came to weave it in, but I know trial and error as you talk about things from just that scientific perspective or logical perspective, you know, the work is very dry and not very effective. And frankly, you know, in those dialogues with people who are struggling, when you feel the Holy Spirit, when you kind of have that influence there and you have the humility to recognize that God knows what's best for this person and I don't. And in some ways you're willing to go on the fly and say, I'm not the one steering the ship. Let's, let's dialogue in a loving way and in a passionate way and in an informed way, but let's see if miracles can happen for people. And it's, it's amazing to me is in my practice as I've paid attention to that and how, how much I feel guided, I'll often have clients when those kind of goosebump sessions where you just get done and you say, wow, you know, I want to go on that ride again. How do you, how do you like make that happen again? And I'll have uh, clients say, uh, I prayed before I came to this session that it wow. would go well. And you think, okay, thank you for the reminder. Yeah. I didn't make that happen. Mm -hmm. I can't make that happen again. But, mm -hmm. but you know, the more we're open to it as clinicians and as clients are open to that, the more you have that humility, the more often you have those. And uh, the better the, your practice goes, the better the client's recovery goes but also the more fun life is. You know, you just kind of mm. walk outside and the sky's a little bluer and the trees are a little greener. It's just, mm. you know, I think that recognition of God and his, his uh, presence and influence. Again, we're just then operating in the flow of that true principle that there's more power there than there is anywhere else in life. Mark's statement reminds me of this great fellow Slim bike rider, um, had a, a doctoral degree, uh, was serving as a bishop, and now had been called to a, a higher ecclesiastical um, position in uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. Came in and um, depressed, profoundly depressed. Mm. Uh, and the more I spoke with him, the more I realized he had this image in his mind of this very punitive father in heaven mm. because that's what he was taught in his home. And his father was, was very militaristic and very black and white, and, and he feared God. But, but God was not loving or kind or benevolent. It, he was doing all this out of fear. Mm. And... When we were able to turn that around and, and help him see things differently, it was amazing. His depression lifted. His relationship with his wife and his children improved. Uh, his relationship with his 
parishioners or, mm. or ward members improved. And he, he just took on himself a whole different countenance. So, you know, how we perceive divinity, how we perceive the divine or God can impact how we see ourselves. And I saw that amazing change in him. And he was the one that initially just thought, you know, he said depression runs in our family. You know, my sister has been on SRIs and antidepressants. And, and you know, this is, this is how our family goes. But it was amazing just seeing that change of how he perceived religion, how he perceived things started opening up and that burden was taken off of him. And I saw, I saw he and his family move in a total different direction. Yeah, and, yeah. and his whole family started to improve because his conceptualization of who his Savior was and who God the Father was started to make profound differences in his life. So it's, it's, it's not just what you model. It's also to understand how people perceive their religion and how that perception impacts their their function. Wow, that's powerful. You know, we were walking the other day as we as we were talking. Plan. We've got a, a fun project where we're going to work with Mark as he starts to put some of his uh, therapy and training into some online courses. That'll be part of the uh, Eternal Core model that we'll be making available. But we were walking. Ask you a hard question, and I I, I was amazed. I said, you know. I noticed on your website, I noticed as you um, offer the many different things that you do, there's like 12 or 15 different kinds of challenges people face, and probably more, but that were listed. And I said, what's, what's, what are the biggest issues that you see? And I was wondering if you could walk, I mean, I, I think our audience would love to hear, you know, you two, you've been 40 plus years, we were just laughing, you know, another 15 or so, if you match his like, what are you seeing out there right now, Mark? Yeah, uh, I, I, we see a lot of anxiety has just really ramped up. And then I think dependency on things to try to calm, things that we're consuming to try to calm that anxiety, be it seemingly innocent things like, you know, online, well, social media or shopping or that kind of thing. Uh, and then conflict in relationships. When, we, when anxiety ramps up and there's been trauma in a person's life especially, they're going to orient toward other people as though they're the enemy. There's the world's a dangerous place. Other people are out to get me. Uh, they wouldn't phrase it that way, but the way they operate in everyday interactions, really, they're they're in these negative cycles where they start to respond as though they are surrounded by enemies. And when you see that, I think what I maybe it's because I do a lot of relationship work with couples and and families, but when you see that orientation with those in my, what should be my safest place, my family, my home, and then, you know, we feel threatening to each other instead of safe, you know, then you've got a whole new level of uh, distress. And so when I see that whole package come together, addictions, anxiety, and relationship deterioration, especially uh, family life deterioration, uh, to try to, uh, people are really struggling with how do I unwind that? How do I help my son who sees us as the enemy and he's 
rebelling and he's, uh, you know, uh, struggling with these addictive things, but even trying to help him, he gets defensive. Or how do I help a spouse or a partner who's dealing with something, but they do it in secret, and so I discover evidence, but they don't want to talk about it. Uh, to me, that's what I see. How about you, Tom? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How has that changed? I mean, when, when you got you know, out of school and finished uh, that long road to your PhD, what were some of the issues then versus what you're seeing now? What's been evolving and changing? Boy, I've been in the thick of it. That's a great question and interesting to think about it in those terms. I've been in the thick of it and don't necessarily give the thought to that progression. But if I had to say now, it seems to me that, uh, you know, the instant gratification has uh, really ramped up. We really can buy something on Prime and have it at our doorstep in two days, even uh, getting gas on the way here. I don't have to go in and have an interaction with the clerk, you know, just <laughs> yeah, run right. my car to get my gas. Boom, and, yeah. And if it, if it doesn't get my zip code, it's bugging me because it's taking so long, you <laughs> yeah. know. And uh, so I think the, I think that expectation that we have that it's going to be easy and it's going to come quick and it's going to satisfy me, <laughs> really has, has wreaked havoc and probably ramped up all the old issues that we used to see. There was more. Uh, in a therapeutic way, then more delay of gratification, maybe more boredom that was just part of yeah, what you have to tolerate. But as a result, we had more downtime to kind of let our bodies and brains recover. You know, now the ability, if I'm bored at all, to get out my phone and get stimulated again, where I'm just continually cranking back up that stimulation and that uh, the nervous system takes it as, you know, the nervous, I think maybe what we're seeing is nervous systems set on more and more urgency, more and more of the time. And so you wouldn't have to, you know, going back even further, there wasn't a necessity to have deliberate ways to wind down when the when it was dark and you were, you know, uh, you were starting to uh, be done for the day. You're the, it, or just our, the environment necessitated winding down. But it was, you know, what we find for people is as they return to more, patterns that include more ease and more winding down and then more safety and connection with loved ones just in simple ways touch and talking together and just that over time 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 spent that way the nervous systems calm down and relax and rejuvenate in ways that uh, we're lacking that now we're thirsting for it we're craving it and what do we do though with our cravings we Get online and check social media. Are we, yes. you know, uh, get online and see what we want to buy next? Are we, you know, binge watch another episode? We just stimulate mm. again, but it's not satisfying us, I don't think. Over Christmas, my youngest son and his wife came from New York. They live right in New York City area. And, um, you know, he, he came from Utah and he said, you know, I'm used to, he, and he went to school at BYU for a while and, he said, I'm so used to just chatting with people and saying hi to people and smiling. And he says, over the years that I've worked in New York, Dad, I find that in the morning I just plug in. And, you know, I don't say to any. He, he takes the subway into New York City. And he says, you know, I interact with the people, my wife at home. And then I go into the office, I interact with people at the office. Then I plug back in. I take my ride home. 
and then I'm usually ordering the food, so by the time I get there, it's coming right after I am, and we go up to our, our house where, you know, you have to lock two doors to get up the stairs <laughs> to get there, and we just kind of veg in our, our little place. And I noticed when we went out to visit them, even in the hotel, when we had all the lights out, there were probably, no exaggeration, 10 different lights blinking. There was the one on the ceiling. There was this thing in the bathroom. There were the two things to plug your cell phones in. You know, there was all this stimulus in this room. And there were three curtains that I had to close to get it dark enough to where I could sleep because I was in New York City, you know? Yeah, but it was the world, yeah. And, and I realized, and then I remembered back as a kid growing up in Southern California, when it got dark, it was dark. Mm -hmm. And in my bedroom, when I turned off that light, the only light that was coming through that window was either the moon or the stars. You know, because we lived up in the country, and th there was no street light. Yeah, yeah. But now, in my own home, the stimulus is amazing. And we think, oh, that doesn't do anything. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it yeah. profoundly affects us because we never move into those lower or higher levels of sleep, those lower levels yeah. of just being conked out. You know, how often are you just in pitch black? And I remember that. I remember as a kid going in the backyard, I could see all the stars in the sky and there was nothing interrupting them. And now I have to go, you know, up to Bear Lake, you know. Or down to Spring yeah, City, yeah, my new home. Yeah. And <laughs> here are all these array of stars and all that memory comes back to me. Mm, and, yeah. and I just think, boy, has my mind made an adjustment in that 50-something, 60 years from being a kid in Southern California to now being... Yeah an older adult, you know, it's very infrequent that I can be away from all this stimulus. Yeah. It's a, I mean, unplugging, that, that's a phrase I'm starting to hear a lot. I just need to unplug and get away. And you've talked a lot about moving from the world to the earth. Right. And trying to get rid of all this external, fairly synthetic, not authentic lifestyle. Uh, do you guys see that as... Some of the, even some of the recommendations that you, that you make occasionally is, guys, take a break. I mean, Yeah, on Saturday, my, I, I would have breakfast, and it probably wasn't the healthiest, but a lot healthier than what the kids are eating. You know, <laughs> it, it would be milk and shredded wheat, and I probably put entirely too much sugar on it. But, you know, my mom would, I would get on my bike, and she would say, well, you know, we'll see you at dinner, you know, and... and <laughs> And, you know, I'd just be out riding my bike and interacting with my friends. And, and, you know, it was talk about just letting my brain spin out. But, you know, what are our kids that same age doing now? Sitting on, you know, with this huge screen in front of them, killing people. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, the stimulus is amazing. And then we wonder the impact that that has on these kids, the world's never hearts, seen this and their brains. generation's right. stimulus levels. Yeah, and I would come home dirty because I'd be sitting in the park or or swinging on the swings or digging tunnels, and I would come home and you know my mother would say, you know, let me spray you off before you come <laughs> into the house. But there there had to be something about connecting, literally connecting with the earth, 
that we don't see a lot with kids today. And I think it's impacting everyone's mental health. Yeah, I was talking with a young man the other day, and he was uh, he was talking about, you came home tired from those adventures and right. probably sleeping that deep sleep you're talking about. And then yeah, that, gone. That, that growth hormone that can... For can you know rebuild cells or at that right. age can help you grow was just you know during that sleep it can fully juice up our system it has time to really spill out and and have its effect whereas uh, talking with a young man the other day he said I need to get some caffeine pills for the morning and then I need to get take melatonin at night and I taught him a little bit about that cycle of exerting, you know, when you have energy in the morning, exerting or, you know, during that time of the day or even certain days of the week, maybe you can exert more. But then, you know, if you really relax and connect with your own natural rhythm, by the time you lay around and veg for a while with the screens off and then you eat a good meal, your body knows how to produce melatonin <laughs> you won't need to take it you know if you're right. not having your uh, cell phone screen right there and an ipad by and then a tv right there and all three of them going but you allow the body to go into its natural kind of rhythm in the evening and then at night uh, your body will produce that melatonin and then the next day the best caffeine in the world is just the brain's rejuvenation that it gets at night if you've if you're respecting your body's own yeah. natural rhythm. And what's good for the heart is good for the brain. What's good for the brain is good for the heart. But we don't think of those connections anymore. We, we, don't, we don't think, what am I feeding myself? Yeah. I mean, I, I had an individual, every time he would come in and see me, he liked that first session in the morning, and he, he would eat the same thing every time he came to see me. A large candy bar and a big gulp full of diet soda. And I was thinking, no wonder you're having a hard time processing if that's what you're putting in your body first thing in the morning, you know? So this whole mental health strategy may be a little bit more practical in its approach than we realize. It might be just because a lot of our environmental inputs are a pretty major cause of what we're going through. Yeah, the we've kind of excited our nervous system into craving more excitement and then so then we feed it more excitement and whether that's digital or the sugar and caffeine and other things that they're taught they you know when it comes to the physiological and the uh you know media the the physiology physiolo the uh, physicians who study the uh things like msg and caffeine mm -hmm. and too much sugar to talk about them as excitotoxins that they literally excite the brain into burning out. It does damage to the wow. nervous system when you're exciting the brain at that level. And the only reason we'll eat those things that have those in them is because there's something in it that will excite the brain like that. So for example, if you take out those toxins like MSG out of some of those foods, they would not taste good enough that they would sell. And so we're, we're kind of becoming dependent on that level of excitement. Yes. And when we do, uh, you know, the, the brain can't find its own natural rhythm again. So cleansing the system, cleansing our bodies and brains from the, from the input and stimulation that's digital, 
cleansing our bodies and brains. It's pretty you've basic level. You put that level. into a bit of an image, a graphic image here, sort of a flow chart that, that just has intrigued me. Now, we have to remember uh, a lot of this will be listened to just audi audially, so maybe if you wouldn't mind walking us through this, this chart and describe it as you go. A little bit of time here so people can visualize it if they're not able to tune in through the video. But it'll really trigger them once they hear it to want to see the video. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, the, there are uh, six boxes here that kind of go in a circle, a cycle, that when we're healthy, we're operating in all six, uh, kind of we're, we're transitioning in a day and maybe even throughout a week through these systems and so they help balance each other that hopefully we wake up in the morning right there where Tigger is where we have a sense of hope and we are primed to uh, naturally kind of have higher hopes at that time of day and expectations of ourselves and it launches us into that exert and strive and aspire and let's work to make it happen what I was envisioning I'm going to make it happen so that strive system kicks in, we have Wonder Woman as kind of the uh, metaphor there. But those all have brain chemicals and brain wave patterns, electrical patterns, that are unique to those systems or operate more highly during those times. But what we don't realize, I think, often, when we are experiencing that, it feels like uh, it's just there to be uh, used and I'm going to always feel this good and so if I'm motivated and I set goals at those times I'm going to probably be overly optimistic about yeah, how yeah. consistent I can I be that. in exerting toward those goals and that's common enough they actually call it the, the researchers who study it call it the false hope syndrome mm. we always set uh, better New Year's resolutions than we're able to follow through on and what that says is that those systems are operating great and as they should what I think is helpful to recognize is this yield system that starts us down in that yield or letting go part of the day is actually very adaptive too. We don't want to feel to focus on our limits or our failures or the ways so that the image for yield is Eeyore. Is Eeyore. <laughs> and he's saying, oh, this isn't working out as I'd hoped. And maybe it's even before lunchtime and I'm already feeling like, you know, yeah. kind of running out of steam. But that allows me to kind of wind down and let go of my exerting for a while, my striving, and rejuvenate. And then I can come back at it, you know, again in the afternoon mm -hmm. or the next day. And so the feelings... So these other of, three are all rejuvenation. They're all rejuvenation. So the, we have uh, uh, Finding Nemo there with the affiliate system that we gravitate toward, uh, especially at the end of the day, toward that safe, uh, connected social support and if we have that that's what really allows our brain and body just like it does a lot of other species to go I'm safe now I can get out of fight or flight if we're uh, in fight or flight from our day has been super stressful if we're, we're pushing ourselves really hard now we can kind of say ah oh, now I get to relax and I don't have to push I can just be okay being me I'm accepted here and that allows the body, when we eat or connect with people through the feed or breed system, so food or sex, consuming or uh, connecting kind of uh, activities can really rejuvenate us if we've gone through this kind of slowing down and connecting first. If we don't and we're just in this hyper heightened state for too long, 
we're going to still crave the consuming, but we're going to probably overconsume because our system is wanting to ramp down and it hasn't had the chance to do it in healthy ways. And so we're going to be more prone to addictive uh, cravings and temptations. And so if we, but if we're going through it in a natural, healthy way, boy, after we've eaten, we're not going to need as much kind of stimulating like uh, addictive foods. We can eat a, a fairly balanced diet. And then when we sleep and, and wind down, we're going to be in that rest and digest mode. So the growth hormones will dump into our system. So this kind of exert and ease are really the two patterns. But because in our, you know, I think if we have a struggle in our culture, it's that we overexert. And then we feel like we need almost like a, there's nothing to overease. Uh, I love the way one researcher put it. He said, you can have a dump of urgency hormones. You can't have a, you can't have a dump or a rush of uh, rejuvenation hormones. It has to be this slow mm. uh, kind of drip or this slow buildup that happens. And so uh, when, we're, when we're trying to stay in urgency until we crash, we don't crash very well. We don't sleep very well. We don't usually make very uh, good choices with food, and we don't make good choices with sex. Usually that's when people are often having struggles of being drawn to media that's uh, hypersexual and, and sometimes getting addicted to that. So we, uh, uh, the, if I had to say a key point in this, keeping this healthy, it's this surrender mode. It's when we, I think it's when we have the Eeyore moment of, oh, I guess I'm not alpha. I guess I'm not able to just always be superhuman. Mm. I guess I have to accept that I have my limits or my plan mm. isn't working mm. out very well. It's, this o- is- it's okay. It's okay. You can go. <laughs> yeah, I will stay here. You know? <laughs> so that's a good thing. That, yeah. That's, yeah. We don't have enough of that in our world today. Just we what don't we've been talking about. let go and we say, skip oh, it. we do. We skip it or we try to, you know, the, I was just working with a new client yesterday and he was, he was talking about how he really loves this kind of racehorse mentality and in business I'm going to do this and he has really avoided this idea and this ability to look at himself as human and a loser in some of his quests and to just be able to say it's okay it's part of being human the suffering of not always succeeding and we were talking about for him his pornography addiction as a way to lie to his brain that I'm not going to be the non-alpha. I'm going to have this fantasy that the the uh, the the, the uh, bird in the flock with the most plumage wants me, and the the porn will tell me that. And so he's addicted to that kind of. Uh, at the end of his day, rather than deal with the normal disappointments of, well, I guess I had some business setbacks and some financial setbacks, and I guess I haven't solved them all, and right. I guess I'm I've lost some battles. Yeah. You know, being a loser and failing and yielding and saying, I'm going to let it go even though I'm not all I want to be is an undervalued skill. You know, mm. that's, there's really a function to that, to recognize our limits. It's a reset. And those people who have God can say, I'm not God and I'm not perfect and I guess I'm going to humble myself and recognize there's a higher power in the universe. But if we have to be all that we want to be or we can't look at ourselves as less than we have a real hard time kind of having compassion for my mm-hmm. not excelling you know the, w- when I don't excel to settle into that feeling of failure and so feeling of uh, the way I encourage people to look at it is 
being a loser is not a, an identity. It's a position. And we're all in that position at various times in the day, in the week, wow. in a career, in our lifetime, in a season of the year. Be a loser. Accept that I have that pain of I've lost this battle or this quest. And then that allows us, it's a reset that allows us to recognize God in our lives. It allows us to recognize maybe I need to, maybe this quest is more complex than I thought it was and I need to reorder how I approach it. And it allows us to interact with other people that are not that alpha male alpha. It allows us to then allow someone to love us. And you know, allow allow a normal person to love us. She doesn't have to be the hottest or the greatest or the most plumage, (laughs) you know, it allows us to interact with people who also are not alpha, you know, and And that's, that's the joy of it. Yes, we can just kind of be together and we're okay. And and beautiful. Yeah. And the, the animal psychologists say the yield subroutine that animals have, the, the kind of defeat mode they go into tail between the legs. Right is a signal to other animals to caretake you. Right. So if we can't go home and say, oh, this was a letdown today, they're not, we're not going to get our wounds licked, and, right. you know, wow. figuratively speaking. And, th- and then people can nurture us. Then people can love us. Yeah. And then, then average people can love us. It doesn't have to be yeah. Forbes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or superheroes. It doesn't have to be Harvard <laughs> Business College. You know. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Chamberlain... Um, Mark, you're going to be with us at the conference. Can you t- one last question. I just got to tell us what, what, what you're going to be sharing and talking about at the conference. If oh, you, you know, this has been such a fun conversation because these are the topics that uh, great. we want to work, talk about at the conference. The individual cycles that keep us in out of balance and then the, the relationship cycles. That yeah. Exactly. Tom summed up very well the topic that I'll be trying to cover and how uh, he just kind of summed things up. I think you can see why we've formed this group by listening to these vidcasts and listening to the podcast. You can see what wonderful individuals that we've gathered together. Please come and join us uh, and join the community. You'll gain so much from this opportunity and this experience. Thanks again to Mark Chamberlain. This is Ken Krogh and Tom Harrison with a reminder that March 29th and 30th, Eternal Core at the Little America Hotel. Mark will be one of our speakers and involved on a panel or two. We're so excited. Thanks again for joining us today. Thank you, Ken and Tom. It's been a pleasure. Thanks.